Hello and welcome to the Organic Gardening Podcast. My name is Sarah Brown and I'm joined by my friend and colleague Chris Collins. We bring you monthly tips and advice on how to grow the organic way. So it's a new year and Chris and I are keen to get going. We're going to share with you what we're going to grow and where. And we also talk about those January jobs, from quiet moments when you pour over the seed catalogues, to shrub pruning and compost turning, activities to keep you warm in the cold weather. Our post bag includes an interesting question, what are the three most important things I can do in the garden to reduce my environmental impact in 2021? Great stuff. And we've got not one, but two guests this month. Both took up gardening during lockdown last year. They tell us what prompted them to garden, what went well, and whether they're going to go on with it in 2021. But first, here's a quick word about our brilliant sponsors, the Organic Gardening Catalogue. Whether you're an experienced grower or want to start your organic journey, the Organic Gardening Catalogue is the one-stop shop for your organic gardening needs. Visit organiccatalogue.com and if you're a member of Garden Organic, you'll get 10% off. Just search for organiccatalogue.com. So now I'm off to the virtual potting shed to join Chris down the line. Morning, Chris. Happy New Year. Morning, Sarah. Happy New Year to you. Did you have a good one? Let's say it was quiet. <laughs> yes, I don't. I think that was the same for. I, I would love to have been out and about, but it wasn't really an option this year. But I. Well, funny enough, I was out and about, but not in the clubbing sense. I have. To well, usually, usually I shake my tail, Sarah, on a New Year's Eve, but not this year. Well, that's a lovely <laughs> image, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, I'm quite excited. I always am in January. I love the fact that feeling that it's a new year. The earth has turned and the days are getting longer. I really, really feel we're on the up. I do. I think, I mean, it's a strange month, I think, in many ways, because it's gloomy. You're probably skint. But I think it's um, a time for renewal. And all the things that come into your mind, you know you're only a couple of months away from getting going again. So I always find it an exciting time. I enjoy it, but I'm quite glad to get the festive out of the way because I'm quite keen to get on with stuff again in, in gardening terms. Yes, I agree entirely. And I, th- I don't know about you, but I, I can already see the first shoots of some bulbs coming up. And I've got that sense that the light is different. It's stunning, the light in January, isn't it? That clear cold sunlight that's almost horizontal i love it you know i'm going to reminisce for a second i won't be long doing it but when i worked up in scotland when i was at edinburgh we used to go to a place called doyick botanic garden peebles and in january we went there you just get these low winter suns and so you get beams of sunlight coming through the air and then what will happen is for an hour it will go quite mild and sunny and you kind of the sense of anticipation is quite amazing. That's the way to approach January, isn't it? I totally agree. I also think January is a time where you divide your time between being outside when you can, if the weather permits, but also there's quite a lot of indoor time as a gardener. And I think that's that's overlooked very often. It's a time, for instance, to read all those books that you never got round to reading, you know, when you're too busy outside growing. I want to know more about permaculture. And mm. I've, I've always been interested in it, but I've never followed up on it sufficiently. This is my chance this month to settle down and read about it and really understand it. I don't know, Chris, maybe you were given some books for Christmas. That... I am exactly what you just described. I think um, I'm very much into the, there's a lot of environmental discussion going on at the moment. And I think that what's quite interesting about this whole subject matter is uh, what if I'd been uh, um, reading books 20 years ago, 25 years ago, would have been quite gardening, gardening techniques. Now we've invited, we've brought in environmentalism, we've in, 
Uh, we've brought in how we feel about our towns. How so? There's all these kind of other facets that's joined our our, our, our tribe almost. Our you know our, our, our gardening companionship, if you like. So I just think it's maybe it's not just about having a garden. It's also thinking about the bigger picture. How can you, if you've got a local school, schools are hubs of communities, what would you want to do in the school that would benefit the education of the children? All this can be researched at this time of year in anticipation of the coming season. I so agree. And I think what you're saying is about the whole, the holistic approach to gardening, which is very, very much in key with organic principles. Exactly. So you're looking at the pleasure it gives you personally, but the wider picture as well. And that's going to become more and more prominent with gardening. It's, talk, it's thinking about the impact of our gardening on, on the planet and on nature and on wildlife. And actually, funnily enough, Chris, if you remember, one of our interviewees this month is, is a young lad from Manchester. And he completely mm. connects the fact what he's doing in his garden with his own um, concerns about the environment and how strongly he feels about it. it gives me faith, faith, Sarah, that really does. I, I, I find it very inspiring. Chat. Right. Yeah. Well, We'll come to that soon. But in the meantime, let's talk about some jobs when you can get outside. What sort of jobs will you be doing, Chris? Well, there's a few ones. I mean, for a big one for me at the moment is making sure, and they give me a lot of pleasure, is just making sure the bird life is okay. I mean, it's a bit of a tougher time for them at the moment. I, I love putting up the bird feed. I love putting water out for them. I just love them. I've got my window feeders. They're there every five minutes. They just give me a lot of pleasure. So it is a good time to think about the bird life and wildlife generally, I think. No, I, I agree entirely. And in fact, I've been reading some research recently there was worries that if we fed the birds we would create a dependency that they would lose the ability to forage and actually that's not true and the British Trust for Ornithology have published a paper saying exactly that the birds still will know how to forage for insects and such like to feed their chicks but right now in the coldest months of the year when Perhaps the ground is frozen and certainly the water is frozen. They need our help. And they just bring us so much pleasure. You know, they really do. I, I, I can't get enough of them. It's a good point out as well. If you're using feeders this time, you know, just give them a clean once a week. Make yeah. sure no infectious diseases get into the feeder and just that little bit of attention to detail. And they'll give you so much pleasure. Have you got any jobs in the greenhouse or in the potting shed that you think need doing? Well, I kind of just prepped this time. Yeah, I think more to the point is uh, this is a time I look at catalogues. I am kind of planning what I'll do with that space in a month. And it's only a month away. We're in January, end of February. I'll start doing, I'll start putting summer bedding seeds seeds in. Things like lobelia, that kind of stuff. I can start work on that. But it's all in the planning of what I'm going to do as the season kicks off, which is not that far away. I know you're a great advocate of cleaning your tools. I am. I, I tend to, I know I, I end up indulging in nostalgia more than I should. But if, when I joined the parks, if you didn't wash and oil your tools at the end of each day, I would have gone into a lot of trouble. And I just think that it, they're kind of things we take for granted now, especially as we live in a throwaway world. You buy a spade and you use it a while and you lob it. And, and that's just such a wrong approach. I think there's something really nice and methodical about doing that at the end of each session of oiling and washing your tools. But you also you're looking after them. Those tools are your friends. You're working with them, aren't you, day in, day out? You are indeed. I've got a trowel that I've had since I was 17, and I, I, I think I'm still using that because I've looked after it, basically. You become attached to them. Absolutely. No, I think that's a very good tip. And I'm going to be going... <laughs> around my greenhouse again because I know that snails for instance will cluster under pots they'll be hibernating in there I don't want them to wake up and eat my shoots and also cleaning the glass on the greenhouse because if the glass is
is dirty or covered in that sort of green algae, it's going to stop whatever winter light there is getting in. So that's quite a nice thing to do. It's quite a satisfying sort of thing. And just all part of the mentality of prepping for the season ahead, I think. It kind of ties in with that, doesn't it? Yeah. About making, you know, getting it all ready and, and it kind of it speeds up the excitement, if you like. And one more job that you really mustn't forget, and we do mention it every month, but don't forget your compost heap, your old friend the compost heap. Go out and turn it, aerate it. Mm-hmm. That will help it to break down. That helps the, the the life within it get the oxygen to break down. That's exactly. It's just a part of who we are. It's embedded in us as organic gardeners and our soil care. It's so important to us, isn't it? I've got a lot of, I've said this before, a lot of wildlife in my compost bin, so I tend to turn it with my hands. It's a bit messy, but I know that if I'm not shoving a fork into it, then I'm not going to damage anything. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's talk about that important thing about choosing what we're going to grow this year. Chris, are you going to try anything new? I've thought about this because I'm always, because of work, you are, I'm un, under quite a lot of pressure of maintaining my allotment. It's a big allotment, it's a full size. So I'm going to try a few more perennial things just to kind of let them get on, let those plants get on with it rather than the rapid crops or the, the seasonal crops. So definitely rhubarb. I'll be looking, you know, to see if I can get some heritage varieties and that. Wasabi. I'm married to a Japanese lady. We eat a lot of wasabi. And, I, and it's quite really quite an easy plant to grow as well, especially in areas that are quite hard to, to cultivate. I mean, I've got a book, um, Perennial Allotments, some strange stuff on it, things like Hypericum and stuff like that. You wouldn't think they were that were edible, but I'm, I haven't read it thoroughly, but I will because we're in January and I've got time to sit and read it. So I'll be looking for maybe to, for some a couple of perennial beds to make it a bit more interesting. Well, I agree entirely because, as you know, I grow in raised beds, so space is a premium. And I'm thinking, actually... I'm going to explore these perennial kales, for instance. There's the African kale and the Dorbenton kale, which are going to keep me in green leaves throughout the year, in fact, and year on year. Another one that I'm really interested in is something called Caucasian spinach. Now, this is a climber. Because space is a premium, it's nice to think vertically rather than laterally. Mm. And having a climber growing up and picking those leaves Mm. early in the spring, I'm hoping is going to be a real, real treat. There's lots about perennial veg on the Garden Organic website. So if you get a moment when you stop listening to this podcast, dear listener, just click on the Garden Organic website. But yes, Chris, I agree. I think perennials are are, are the way to go. They'll be exciting for 2021. Yes, and it's all about um, utilising that site, isn't it? Making sure it's producing for you round the clock, round the month all year round rather than just having sort of a glut at the end of the summer season it's also slightly less intensive in the amount of resource that you use you're not using seed you're not using potting compost you're not using any added fertilizer Mm. all those things that go with sowing and raising plants actually by putting a perennial plant in that's it you've done it keep it fed keep it healthy job done you touched on then the idea of it's not just what you grow, but where you grow it as well to maximise the space in your plot, but also to think a little bit about changing where you grow your veg, rotating it round the plot, because there's always a danger if you plant the same veg in the same place year on year, you're going to aim use up the nutrients in that particular pot of plot of soil. But also there is the risk of any soil borne diseases like club root mm. or whatever taking hold and then you're stuffed. So think about moving your stuff around. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? Yeah, just draw, draw, draw a little plan and make sure you shift stuff around. I call it nudge up. So you go from, because I have a series of little small beds, that's how I manage the allotment because it's, 
it's just more practical just nudge up so you move them around and think about who who needs the most nutrition and doesn't need any, all those kind of factors come in can you use your legumes to improve your soil nutrient and plant something all those little things but the way to do it for we have a complicated is just sit down for an afternoon and get the pen and paper out and plan that for the year it's interesting we're talking about perennials because even perennials people tend to think well you put them and leave them there but an herbaceous border will benefit every couple of years from being lifted divided and put back again because you keep the health the vigor of the plant then you can give some away to your neighbors so you know you can get it back if yours goes so always think about those kind of changes on a site yeah this is a brilliant time of year to be doing it paper and pencil but also i think physically you're quite good at getting out and digging up and doing that sort of garden construction work as well aren't you yes well i was you know i was at a chat the other day i went to see a friend of mine i do a bit of work for sometimes and and it's kind of this is the time of year where you could have a step back and look at your garden because there's lots of people who've bought that shrub down the garden center 10 years ago and they put it in the ground now it's 10 foot tall could be a forsythia or a buddleia or a lysosteria all these kind of what are called park plants iliagnuses park plants that are very very successful but can get quite big and they turn into something that you didn't think when you bought it in a little 10 litre pot if this that plant's in your way at the moment cut it down root ball it dig a trench around the width of the crown of the plant, lift it very gently and move it into a better position so you can open your garden up. That's quite good. The other thing is, well, I find this time of year, pruning always comes to mind. The very same plants, those shrubs, they tend to get very tangled and knotted because they're quite vigorous. I like to look at them, especially the deciduous ones, and cut out all that dead wood, that crossing wood. Just let some air into the plant. Let that plant breathe and you'll get good results out of it next year. And you can be quite brave with something like a buddleia or a forsythia. You can really hack it back. Stall it. Lysosteria formosa, I don't know if you know that plant, the pheasant berry, it's like a green shooted, lovely long burgundy type flowers with a white tip, very beautiful, and you think, oh that looks wonderful, but I would hack that down in late winter and let it come again. You say you don't be shy with them. These plants are tough and you then you keep that vigor. It doesn't get old and knotted and you don't end up with a crown full of plants and, and the stems all rotten underneath. Be, be a bit brutal. But I think the good thing about January is that that's the time to have a look at those particulars. Talking about seed sowing, I think it's also important to remember that spring is not just the time to sow seeds. You can actually be sowing all through the growing season, right up until August in a lot of cases. And by doing that, don't get that classic glut. Yes, yeah. Keep sowing. In July, you can still put in your beans plant. You can put in beetroot, cabbage carrots if you sow them july august you will actually probably avoid that first infestation of carrot root fly and if you choose those little mini varieties which you can now get those will mature very early so you'll be eating carrots probably by september october yeah you've done it myself to get that glut so you go mad in march april you sow everything your quick crops whatever and it's easy for it all to mature all at the same time so this year i had to put boxes out in the hallway for my neighbors because i just had too much so yeah think about uh, making sure it's 12 month operation you're exactly right try and think about doing something every month again sarah it comes down to that planning making sure you've got a, an idea a design in your mind of when you want to get stuff going and and keep that whole thing flowing i'll tell you what chris will remind listeners come july we'll say are you still sewing i'm sure we'll be doing that <laughs> sewing and turning your compost heap all right yeah, yeah, this is... <laughs> yeah no planning is 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 vital and again there's lots on the garden organic website which will tell you how to plan your veg plot Great, Chris. Now, don't go away because we've got our two lovely interviewees this month who you and I met earlier 
And they both took up gardening during lockdown. There's Hannah in Wales, who had never gardened before. And there's Harrison up in Manchester, who is a great gardener and environmentalist. And he's only 16. So let's have a listen and see what they've been up to. Diane Dioch, Bolladar from Wales. <laughs> That's a nice bit of Welsh speaking there. <laughs> Hannah, I understand you're a primary school teacher. Yes, I am. I'm a primary school teacher, newly qualified. You took up gardening because of lockdown early last year. Yes, well, in Wales, we've had a few lockdowns. They didn't really give us any warning. We just came into school one day and they said, tomorrow will be your last day. And it was like that for everybody. It was like that for everyone in the country in, in lots of ways, not just in schools. But then I suddenly had all this time. You know, I'd been working very intense hours in school and writing your essays on, on the weekends to, to qualify and then suddenly you're sent home and you think what am I going to do and so I gardened. Was it just on the spur of the moment or do you think you had always wanted to and this was your opportunity? I definitely always wanted to garden and I come from a family of gardeners. Both my nans garden a lot but I travelled a lot and so not had a permanent garden and I was finally living somewhere with a garden and I thought I have all this time I'm gonna gonna go and play but I didn't think it would turn into what happened throughout the year and and I'm definitely obsessed now and I'm a gardener. Ah it does it does get to you doesn't it? Can you just describe to Chris and I your garden? You've told me it's a typical townhouse and the garden is behind. Tell me a little bit more about it. Well when we moved into the house I don't think it had been looked after so we moved into the house about 18 months ago. It didn't have a lawn it was just stones and broken concrete it was taken over by nettle and the only bed that we had on the right which was it's not really a bed I like to call it a bed was just soil that had sort of been taken over with weed. Chris do you want to come in now? Yes certainly morning uh, Hannah. Very good I'm enjoying the Welsh I'm very well thank you I'm sorry I can't reply in Welsh you'll have to make do with Cockney I think for today. Good town though Cardiff when it's Lopen it's a good town isn't it I've had had some good nights in Cardiff I have to say. Yeah. It's lively and so where did you start what was the first sort of thing you thought oh I fancy growing that? Um, well, I didn't actually plant anything until the end of April. And now, in hindsight, I know it was really late to get started. So I was quite lucky to get anything come through, to be honest. I started with uh, runner beans and tomatoes, which um, both did really well, especially given the fact they were on like really bargain compost and things. They would do that differently next year. A lot of whales took up gardening and you could not find bags of soil in the store anyway. You had to go every day. And one day I got one, I remember walking home um, and thinking I might actually get mugged because it was such a precious commodity. <laughs> to be honest with you, the end of April for beans and tomatoes isn't too bad. You've got um, you're in you're in the the zone there. Did you put any fertilizer in, or did you just sow the seed, see what happens? Literally put them in um, little pots in our house has a little lean to a typical terraced house where you'd have your washing machine and my washing machine was just full of pots on top and um, anything that had space any windowsill I could find my poor housemate had to deal with the gardening in the house everywhere <laughs> and yeah that's how it started and then I sort of had to ask people quick I've got these seedlings what do I do with them 
And that's when I started trying to find pots, going around looking for old buckets and things like that to put holes in the bottom to get pots. So you had to improvise then quite heavily, obviously because you can't go out and about because of lockdown. It's very impressive. Um, you're in Wales, so I would imagine it's quite damp where you are, is it? Or am I just assuming things? Nah, it's my It's in fact raining today as well. <laughs> it, is, it is very wet. So once your plants are out there, then it's a case of... Because obviously, at that, in some ways, if you're beginning garden, you think, well, it's raining, I don't need to check them. Are you out there every day or you're looking at your plants every day? Do you get that? When most gardeners get this kind of obsession where they need to check on their plants all the time and it becomes, you know, they almost become your friends in a way. Do you know what? It wasn't even every day. I think it was like every hour it became <laughs> <in> my life. <laughs> um, but I sort of ran into that stage with brassicas where butterflies came and laid their eggs and they won <laughs> this year. <laughs> I now know that next year I should use netting. Sure. So you kind of, well, that's good because really I always have an expression, Anna, and that is uh, wisdom is born from error. And that's kind of, you know, that's how gardening kind of works. You get wiser. But you, you, must have, you must have a few things you're really proud of that you grew and you thought, wow, spot on. Did you end up getting them in the cooking pot eventually as well? Because you've mentioned a few edibles. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm still now in October pulling courgettes off my plants, which I'm really happy with. I only had one yellow and one green plant and they'd given me loads. And all the family had some of my tomatoes. Um, everyone had a plant. And so it's like I've got to share the joy around the family as well. So they went well. So you sold a load of stuff and gave it away. So that's so, so you, everybody gets a little taste of it basically yeah and when it was sort of um easier to handle i made sure they were nice and strong and all with my dad and things who isn't maybe as green-fingered as you are you want to make sure it's easy foolproof tomato yeah. for them to look yeah. at. did you get anything where you grew it and it was just didn't happen for you at all oh yeah um <laughs> choy didn't exist in my garden who got that who got that then the pigeons it just didn't happen it just didn't grow um, a bit of both. I think the um, caterpillars got to it and they never really came into a nice big size. So I did something wrong there and cabbage, um, yes. all the brassicas. So you need, you'll get a, a couple of little bits, four bamboo canes and a net next year. I'll certainly help you, help you out there. I think it was quite a hot spring as well. And a pack choy, it, it just want it do a thing called bolt. It will just want to set seed if the weather's a bit warm, which it was around that time, wasn't it? So what are the, what are the plans for the future then, Hannah? And I've done quite a lot of work on this, haven't you? Recorded it in a diary and stuff have you got big plans for, uh, for the coming season yeah I have gone full teacher on my gardening hobby <laughs> I do have a page in my book saying early spring growing hopes for 2021 um, because this year I didn't do potatoes I was too late for potatoes and I would love to do that yeah. and I also didn't do any fruits like I would love to have a raspberry or strawberries sure that sounds good. And what about flowers? Have you got any, any ambition to grow those? You... Yeah, my nan got us really into edible flowers. So we were having like violas. I think they're the edible flowers. So I've sort of had an introduction to that. And we were putting them in sort of Vietnamese summer rolls or on, on puddings and sending it around the family WhatsApp because we all got into it. So I'd like to expand on what I what flowers I know I can eat. Good. So I think it's also from an organic gardener's point of view, it's good to get a montage, if you like, some edibles, some flowers bit of fruit there maybe a few of herbs and so you've got that kind of mixed sort of garden and that'll help with your pests and diseases and I'll say you're obviously a school teacher we must be taking this into the classroom I take it you're gonna have fun with the kids with this absolutely and we already have because we've been doing um a spring bulb project with the National Museum of Wales which schools all over Wales and even England and Scotland are taking part in where we've all planted bulbs on the same day for daffodils and crocus and we have to record the daily rainfall and watch them come up so that we can see if climate changes have an effect, if spring is coming earlier or later or on time as expected. So that's a really 
excited project that we're having at the minute. Oh, that's really good. That's excellent. I think, and you'll find that you like yourself. The kids will get the gardening bug. I'm sure they will. So they you loved it. Did they love it? Yeah. I, I, you know what? I've yet to have work with a child that doesn't like gardening. So, but obviously, you mentioned a couple of important things there about measuring and that. Can you fit it into your curriculum as well? So can you you can use it for teaching purposes? Absolutely. Um, the Welsh curriculum is obviously different from the English. The National Curriculum for Wales gives a lot of space for this sort of um, really practical real life skill and, and looking at looking at things you've learned in the classroom outdoors we have a lot of outdoor work um, so we have a lot of room for that and it's really encouraged actually you always have one kid or a couple of kids that just love getting dirty yeah absolutely <laughs> and especially the younger years here we have um, outdoor play every day and the rule is you do not go in with rain you have wellies and all-in-ones because you live in wales the rain cannot make you go inside <laughs> yeah you might not get much done if you were <laughs> if you stay if you sat out the rain that's for sure exactly <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm really glad to hear you've got the gardening bug. I really am, because I know, this is kind of how I view it, is you won't lose that bug. You'll just want to do it from this point on. You'll be tottering around your garden for years to come, I should imagine. Exactly. I was out there yesterday taking down my, my runner bean structures, finding jobs. Being out in the air, and that is, after a while as well, you get kind of close to the seasons, though, you know, when, mm. when spring comes and you just you know, get so excited about it, because you know there's all this stuff to do, and you've got all these plans, and uh, and it's there to be enjoyed. Well, Hannah, that was really lovely to hear from you, and I'm glad that you've caught the gardening bug. Thank you so much for joining us, and good luck with your future gardening. Thanks, Hannah. Chris, I thought that was great. I thought the fact that she was just so determined to get her growing going, never having done it before, sharing the love with her family was brilliant. Well, it gives me faith. It really does. And then the, the, the pupils she teaches are going to benefit from that enthusiasm. That's going to roll on. And it, yeah, it's just great. It's so inspiring. That's so true. And she did ask if we could give a shout out to her year six class at St Mary's Primary School in Canton in Cardiff. Hello, year six. <laughs> and now we go up to Manchester to join Harrison. I hope you don't mind me saying so, Harrison, but you're 16 and therefore possibly one of our youngest listeners. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be on. Was it lockdown that got you into gardening, Harrison? Yeah, it, well, it was a mix of things, really. Um, so lockdown gave me the sort of opportunity, the time to get into it with with GCSEs being cancelled and uh, all the sort of environmental stuff that I've been working on going online. I've um, I've had a lot of time on my hands. So, yeah, it just gave me the opportunity to, to really get down and start working on growing. Describe your garden to me. Is it uh, your parents' house and, and garden behind? It? Yeah, so we, we've just moved just moved up to a new house, uh, just sort of just into the countryside, and it had this small area, sort of unused land. So we, we decided, well, we'd make it into a, a growing area. And I, I spent some some pretty long nights in the in the garage scrubbing some rust off these old metal pallets, and I, I put one on top of each other. I added some wood on the inside and filled them with soil, and they made some really nice planters, uh, which I've been using them and along with um, some recycled plastic fence panels which we put together to also make some pallets so my growing area has basically been made out of a lot of upcycled materials listen that sounds amazing i've got a vision in my uh, mind now about these upcycled materials and stuff well that's good work mate it really is so what's um, what are you growing then well I- i'm quite a big fan of, of the food i eat i'm quite in cooking so I-, I, f- I first thought potatoes would be a good start so i, I planted certain potatoes and and then i gathered a few seeds um and i just thought well you know 
well, I'm going to go for it. This year was more about just just putting the seeds in and seeing what grew well in my area. And uh, yeah, quite a few things did grow well, a few things didn't. But it, this year has been about learning learning what what does grow well in my area. So it's, it's edibles you're going for at the moment then, and um, and that's you do, you've got exactly the right approach. Just experiment, see what happens, see what grows well. What was your successes then? What did you end up making that tasted delicious? I was a big fan of any plant that, that grew that grew more than one of the vegetables. So the courgettes, the cucumbers, the tomatoes, they were just brilliant. So you harvest, basically. Yeah, yeah. Things to just keep getting harvest from throughout the season. Uh, they're, they're my absolute favourite things to grow. I, I just love to be able to go back to it and pick from it. And we've made some sauces from it and, and curries and things like that. Superb. So you like to graze plants. I'm very much the same as well. And, uh, and so you're, all, you're big into organic gardening, aren't you? You like to do your stuff organically. I know you're very much into the environmental stuff. We'll come on to that in a minute. But So, so what sort of organic practices do you use then, Harrison? Well, from listening to these podcasts, I've, I've been very much into them and uh, focusing on the soil. So I've been creating my own compost. Uh, which I started uh, a bit before lockdown, actually, but Brilliant. just actually started making leaf mould and compost. And I've been focusing on that. So next year I'll be able to put them in in the spring and hopefully we'll have some brilliant soil texture. Excellent. I think now you've mentioned mulch, soil and leaf mould, you'll be Sarah's friend for life. I know she's yeah. very <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to this and grinning as I listen. I bet you are. <laughs> That's excellent. I mean, you're obviously a, a big budding gardener in the making by the sound of it, mate. I know you're very much environmentally aware. That's very important to you. And I think from um, from, the, from the point of view of a man in his 50s, I think it's it's incredible that our youngsters are getting motivated. You, you mentioned a thing called a youth strike. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that, Harrison? Yeah, so so the youth strikes are basically large groups of, of young people, but people of any age. Uh, the ones that I go to are organised by young people. Um, and we go to places like uh, cities like Manchester, London, and we'll gather in large numbers and demonstrate to, to basically the people that can make decisions uh, that, that we can't and ask them to make changes that, that are a bit out of our, our reach, basically. So we're, we're relying on people in places like government to to make the changes that we want to see for the environment. So it's about pressurising, lobbying politicians. The environment isn't, don't, don't you think they're not really concentrating on it enough, are they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I know that COVID has obviously had to take quite a, a focus at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of lives on the line, but but it is important that we, that we do remember that, that you know, there, there is a big crisis going on in the background here and, and it isn't going to go away with, with COVID coming in, um, unfortunately. So... I think uh, there are more changes that do need to be made. There's uh, a lot of things that are being said that, that aren't going through with. Harrison, I'm really interested that you also make that really important link between your own garden and the big environment. And of course, that's where organic gardening plays its role, doesn't it? Yes, well, definitely. I, I mean, listening back to one of uh, your, your podcasts, Chris said something which, which really stuck with me was, uh, many, I think he said, many droplets make a shower. And that really, really stuck with me. So if we all make a, a small difference, all grow a bit of our own veg together, that, that can make a massive difference. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so you've kicked this off and you sound like you're growing great guns, Harrison. So what, what plans have you got in the future, 2021? The spring on its way have you got big plans and stuff you want to grow yeah yeah def i mean next year um i'd like i want to get in some more flowers uh, and even maybe try and keep some bees that would be really nice we do have a lot naturally up there anyway but get some pollinators in that'd be really nice so you're looking to like increase your palette basically to mix it up a bit yeah definitely and maybe a bit more of uh, successional planting this year was more just testing what works just 
put it in all at the same time but I'd like to get more like lettuce all throughout the year that sort of thing oh you sound such a professional you really do Harrison <laughs> I'm, I'm so impressed because <laughs> say Monty Don watch out <laughs> did you learn your gardening from your grandparents yeah well it's, it's been a bit of a mix um so I've learned some from grandparents uh, and my grandparents have, have increased the growing this year from when I've also done it which is nice but a lot of it has come from from this podcast and and YouTube as well. Just doing a bit of research into it, and it, it's become a little bit of a hobby for me. It's to be able to get involved in, and it's enjoyable to, and learn something new, especially in lockdown where learning things it, it become a bit more difficult to to fill in the time really. When you're at school, do you find that your schoolmates are, are, are they amused by your gardening? Do they share your gardening passion? Well, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mixed response, I suppose. So a lot of my friends are quite into uh, environmental stuff or into that they're quite crafty. So I think they quite all um, mostly appreciate what I'm doing. And, and some of them even helped me build it. But before COVID kicked off, when I was first starting to build some planters, which which was nice of them. Um, yeah, so, so some of them even got involved before it all turned upside down, I suppose. Yeah, and also I'm guessing whatever age you are, gardening is a wonderful release when you've been slaving over the laptop. It's always nice to turn to the garden, isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. It's, I, I think it's brilliant for mental health as well. I think um, a bit of well-being as well. It, can re- really help especially in crisis that we that we that we're in at the moment i think more people taking up that this this hobby could be really good it's an incredible subject max i think it's one of the few that is very sociable it means that we all talk to each other and share information and we like to get together and garden but it's also intensely private isn't it do you think that when you're out there and it's just you on your own with the, the sound of the trees and the sky it's an incredibly private and fulfilling moment to garden oh yeah it's just amazing i mean you can you can either be sharing the information with your friends and, and family or you could just be sat listening to the birds and it's just to have that both elements of it it's just brilliant well harrison i think you're an inspiration i really Me too. Do. 16 i'm not jealous at all mate i promise you <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us it's really been a delight listening to you and good luck with this year's growing and your successional planting and everything else i'll tell you what harrison it'd be really nice if you if you kept us in the picture mate and showed us how you get on in the spring let you know how you're doing you know that'd be really good to uh, to see your progress oh yeah d- definitely thank you i will i'll keep you here i'll keep you up to date with it thank you very much it's been amazing to uh, to meet you both it's been Fantastic. a pleasure thanks harrison cheers harrison and now we have the fun of opening the post bag chris and i are joined by hannah and anton hiya oh happy new year to you both and to you yeah i hope you had a nice break over christmas Thank you, I did indeed. Okay, so Hannah, what's our first question? Well, we're starting with a meaty one. Um, so someone's asked us, what are the most important things they can do in the garden to reduce their environmental impact in 2021? Anton, can you kick us off with this one, please? I would say if you're just going to do one thing, it would be to make sure that you have a compost heap in your garden. I think composting really is a win-win situation with the environment for for a number of reasons. Because by composting at home, you're reducing the amount of green material that you're sending off in a lorry that needs to be collected. Transporting bulky substances, that makes a really big impact on your environmental footprint. And also you're reducing the amount that you need to buy and bring into your your garden. So really, it's a sort of win-win situation. It's also keeping stuff out of landfill as well, which obviously there's 
emissions, a lot of sort of emissions, sort of methane emissions, which is a particularly potent greenhouse gas. So the more stuff you're keeping out of landfill, that's the better as well. So just to be clear, Anton, I think what you're suggesting is if you can avoid buying compost in bags or whatever, to make it yourself. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, that's one thing that goes with all sort of aspects of gardening, that the more that you can recycle and use on your site, so that includes all, all your sort of green waste material, the better, so rather than having to send it off somewhere else and then and then buy stuff and bring it back in. Makes sense financially as well. And on the Garden Organic website, we have quite a lot of advice on how to make your own potting compost, because I think that's where most people go to the garden centre to buy a bag of potting compost or seed compost. Actually, we have all the tips and advice that you might need to make your own. That's true, yes. I mean, perhaps we need to emphasise that the compost you make won't be the same as potting compost that you buy. You will need to mix compost with other things, but it's, it's a great all-round material. It can be used as a soil improver and it can be used as a mulch as well. There's lots of ways that it can be used. Chris, you garden on a balcony at home. How do you get around composting and your sort of household food waste? A wormery would be a brilliant way to do it. I have, I have indulged in that, but certainly my kitchen waste doesn't go to a waste now. It's put into a hot box. I kind of leave it there. And that's easy ability to take that down the allotment and add it to my compost bin down there. That's brilliant. Thank you. So, Chris, have you got any tips? The big thing that's changed is our, our, uh, our awareness of single-use plastic, basically. And one of the biggest use single-use plastic in horticulture is obviously the plastic pots we get from garden centres. And after 30 years of landscaping, I fully understand the amount of plastic pots that have gone into skips, etc. over the time. It's always been seen as a throwaway product. But I don't throw that away at all now. It gets washed out, cleaned, and put into my shed on the allotment and reused. But I then double that up by sowing as much seeds as I can so growing as many plants as I can and then the whole thing self-perpetuates so I can sow some seed prick them out into my recycled plastic it's kind of it kind of self-perpetuates in a way so a big thing for me next year and I think it should be for everyone is don't be just throwing those plastic pots and then you can sow seed saves you money as well you sow it in a peat-free compost prick it out into pots and you're then creating your own plants cheaper and more sustainable and reusing that single plastic. I think that's really helpful, Chris, to understand the environmental impact of plastic in the garden. And I think we're all trying to reduce the amount of plastic we use. And that distinction between the single use and perhaps the more reusable permanent plastic. I mean, I'm thinking, for instance, my wheelbarrow is plastic, but I've had that wheelbarrow for over Mm. 10 years now. So I don't feel quite so bad about having it and I would feel a lot worse if I got rid of it and it went into landfill so that distinction between plastic use once and throw away and plastic that you can keep reusing is an important point and you have to kind of think about it it's interesting you say about the wheelbarrow because I've had pots plastic pots on my balcony big ones I've had for 25 years and they'll last another 25 50 probably outlive me to be fair yet if i wanted terracotta out there that's somebody else's topsoil isn't it probably coming in from northern africa or italy to make my pot so it's not always as simple as it seems but the the emphasis on those things you buy regularly plastic pots from the garden center stuff that's wrapped in cling film that kind of stuff you can be aware of that and cut that right down and then if you can then encompass it into other things like seed sowing and growing your own plants and you're winning on all fronts really I think it's interesting. It's a it's a good distinction you make, Sarah, between the sort of long-lasting plastic and the so-called single-use plastic. 
I mean, I found that with a bit of thought, most single-use plastics can be used for other things. So we um, often recommend looking at your household plastic. Can you cut down your milk bottle to use it to sew something in? Same with yogurt pots, all these little plastic pots actually can be really useful and the same you know we get lots of um notes from our members about ways they reuse the plastic so things like those the plastic that the compost comes in that's great to use to transport waste or to store the homemade compost that you've made so it's it's sometimes it's a case of actually thinking well I've got this now you know if avoid it in the first place but if you do have it how can you really extend its lifespan to, to not buy something else one of the other things that's, that's quite interesting, we featured a piece in our members magazine, The Organic Way, um, in the last issue, which was written by journalist Sally Next, who recommended using wooden seed trays. So she's made some seed trays out of wood. And she said that the, the it seems that it produces stronger seedlings because it gets the air into the roots. I don't know if that's something that any of you guys have had any experience with. Well, it's interesting because when I was an apprentice many moons ago, now I'm an old man, but I we always used wooden seed trays. There were never any plastic seed trays and they were never, ever thrown away. They were re, everybody recycled. It's quite interesting watching this sort of environmental movement, this green awareness, because quite a lot of it's already gone on before in, in gardening itself. And I think that um, our job as gardeners as a as a garden organic movement is to yeah, to make sure we make people aware of these practices because it's simple stuff isn't it it's reuse at the end of the day it's so and just making sure you're not going i don't need that off it goes and getting outside that mentality and interesting there seem to be um more and more garden centers that now do a pot return scheme so that's, that's something to have a look see if there's one local to you where you can take your pots and they will then reuse them for the plants that they raise well the industry's got to step up here hasn't it it's one thing to what you consume but also it's what's on our shelves and you know that's a two-way street i would argue and and gardening as an industry needs to recognize what's coming down the line i would say well that brings me on to my point which is how to reduce your environmental impact which to me the most obvious one is actually to cut peat out of your growing now peat isn't necessary in horticulture. It simply isn't. And yet we have, over the past 70 years, we have stripped peat bogs and we've denuded them of this fantastic, wonderful, rich ecosystem. Why? Just because the garden, the horticultural trade decided that peat was a perfect medium to grow in. And we buy our plants and we buy our bagged potting compost, all have peat inside them. And over 95% of the UK's peat bogs have now been either degraded or killed. And that's a shocking, shocking statistic. So how do we cut out peat? Well, the simplest way is if you do go to buy potting compost, make sure that it's peat free. I know it costs a bit more, but that's because the industry feels there's a premium price they can put on it. I think the more we ask for it, the more we buy it, the price will come down. And then the other thing is, chances are, if you go to a garden centre and buy a plant in a pot, it's been grown in a peat-based compost. So what's the thing there? Do you not buy the plant? Do you go to the garden centre manager and say, has this been grown in peat-free compost? These are all uncomfortable things to think about doing, but actually I think they're part of a movement that's going to get very strong this year where we say no 
to Pete. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's even going to go as far as government legislation, this whole thing. I mean, swap it around. If you were, say, uh, you had a family, you do a job, you're not gardening aware, you go to the garden centre, the choice isn't there at the moment. And that's kind of one of the big things we need to swing. We know that there are good peat-free composts out there. But actually, if you go to a lot of, say, DIY stores, it's very, very difficult. So pressure on the industry, again, is really, really important. Thank you, Chris. I agree. And of course, what I should have mentioned is that it's not just the destruction of the bogs. It's the fact that actually peat bog will store more carbon than a forest. Mm. And I think a lot of people are not aware of that. And we know how important storing those carbon gases is to prevent global warming and to prevent the climate emergency that we are clearly in. I think it's important that we all realise that the earth isn't isn't an inexhaustible pantry that we can just dip our hands into whenever we feel like it. Maybe that's what's changing here. And Hannah, I love this question because it's somebody who is thinking about their gardening and how it impacts on the earth that we live. It's not just my own little plot and I want it to look as beautiful or be as productive or whatever. They're actually thinking about how gardening impacts on the ecosystems and the environment. And that's brilliant. I think that's often one of the trickiest things to to square off is that as a gardener, perhaps as a a beginner or a novice gardener, you think if I'm putting all this effort into my back garden, my balcony, my my little patch, I'm doing my bit, you know, I'm helping it. It looks better. It's got wildlife in it. But actually, it's a really uncomfortable truth that what you're doing might be having damaging effects to the wider environment. I mean, I I think it's, it's really interesting what you say about buying plants you know you can propagate you can take cuttings and some of them are really easily easy I'm not half as experienced as as any of you guys but this year I've become a bit of obsessed with it and you know the number of plants you can beg and borrow from other gardeners gardeners love to share their plants or house plants you know house plants are really difficult to get produced organically or sustainably but they're so easy to propagate and Chris I know that's something that you've got a lot of experience with so actually you know what can you do from that side of things how can you fill your garden with plants that you know have been raised sustainably I know that every time I've moved I've always had relatives that have given me a car boot full of plants and stuff from their own garden yeah it's it's a nice thing as well because then you've got the sort of history of your relatives and friends all brought into your own garden putting your money towards a garden centre. Um, so the second question is perhaps a little bit simpler. So someone said they've got some Bocking 14 comfrey plants growing on their allotment. And what's the best way to propagate them and when should they do it? And I guess the first thing we need to cover here is what is Bocking 14 comfrey, Anton? OK, well, Bocking 14 comfrey is a special type of comfrey because it doesn't set seeds in your garden. So however much you like comfrey plants, you don't really want comfrey to cover your whole garden, which the wild comfrey does tend to spread quite readily so this bocking 14 is is really useful because it only spreads very slowly it tends to stay put so in terms of propagating it I would say it's actually pretty difficult to kill a comfrey plant so it's quite an easy plant to propagate and you can actually do it any time of year I quite like doing it in early spring because then you can just see the shoots coming up so it's easy to see where the where the plants are 
and I would get my spade around where you can see the shoots and loosen a clump of the comfrey, dig it up, and then you'll, you'll see that there's a big sort of bundle of roots there. And you can be quite bold. You can get a spade and divide them up into distinct little plants. You want to plant those in a pot just so that the green bit is just above the soil surface and the root bit is below, and those will easily grow into plants. The thing to bear in mind is really any piece of root will grow. Once you've got your plant growing happily in your pot, you can then put it in its final place in, in the ground. Anton, one thing I think is worth mentioning for anyone who doesn't know what a comfrey plant is or how useful it is in the garden, it's this wonderful source of, of fertiliser, isn't it? Yeah, um, what a comfrey plant does is it takes up, because it's got a very deep taproot, it takes up nutrients from quite deep depths and then it takes them up into into the leaves so you've got leaves which have got a lot of fertility in them so you, you can take those leaves and mix them with water to make a comfrey feed totally for free it's it's a really great thing there's loads of stuff on our website about how how to do it it's particularly good for tomato plants because it has a lot of potash in it which is very good for fruiting plants I'm using a comfrey feed on my house plants as well, which is helping them to flower. I can honestly say I would never be without some comfrey. It's one of those, isn't it? For an organic gardener, it's an absolute must. Yeah, definitely. Although if you're like me and you live in a reasonably built up area, I can put a vote in for making a concentrate feed because it doesn't smell half as much. Yeah, it's a bit pongy, that's for sure. <laughs> I was Actually, it's also pointing out um, you can if um, grow it in a pot on the balcony as well. It's kind of adapt enough to do that, isn't it? It is. It's a very vers versatile plant. Oh, that's, that's really useful. Thank you. So on to our last question. Someone said they have a sunny windowsill in their kitchen. Is it possible to start sowing now in January? And if so, what would we recommend Chris, can you help us with that one? Yes, well, I, I don't really stop sowing sort of quick crops in my in, on the windowsill, to be honest with you. At the moment, I still do pea shoots. They're an amazing thing. 80 pence, packet of dried peas. Soak them, mate, and then make, put them in a little, say, old mushroom pallet, and then uh, grow them. They'll grow four or five times as shoots. Crop them, put them in the salad, put them in your cheese sandwich. Best 80p you'll ever spend. But also growing seeds this time of year, you've got to remember the light levels are quite low. So if you germinate them, once they're up and they're going and they're at two leaf stage, the cotyledon stages those two leaves that don't look like the rest of the plant because they're the food stores in the seed itself when they get to that stage prick them out and move them into more space that's a good, good way to make sure they come on okay and uh, never touch anything else but the leaves when you're pricking them out you dibber underneath lift them by the leaves move them on the other thing i'd also do when i get going is i because i grow a lot in my office here which the light levels aren't great is i i spin and i stroke that's kind of my expression and that means i a couple of times a day i'll turn them around to make sure they don't etulate which means they bend towards the light and you get these horrible leggy seedlings that are not going to really cope as the season cracks on so turn them to keep them squat and tough and also run your hand over them make sure you're they, they stay quite low in the pot and there's nice strong plants but there's no reason why you can't be growing salad leaves i mean obviously i'm a bit lucky i'm in north london i'm south facing so i can still grow salad leaves and my pea shoots and that's a constant supply of that lovely fresh food and you've got to remember if you want to go to the supermarket and buy that you'll pay 150 for some vacuum pea shoots or come cut and come again salad leaves 
which won't taste all that because they were probably cropped weeks and weeks ago. So if you're not in such a sunny position, is there anything that people can do to try and increase the light levels on their windowsills? One thing that I found works quite well is um, making a little foil reflector as well. That just makes it so that the light is a little bit more even. It's something you can just build out a bit of a cardboard and some, some tin foil. And it just means that the plants tend to grow quite a bit straighter, I've found. It's quite interesting. I remember a couple of years ago, I grew stuff in my in my hallway. They were runner beans. So this is a bit later in the season, but they were quite big plants on the top with a rare little loop root production because they were stretching for that light. So they were concentrating on absorbing the light rather than on root production. And we all know the key to a decent plant is decent root production. So you've got to kind of think about it. If things are etiolating and the, and the internodes are quite far apart, which means that there's gaps between each set of leaves, then that's probably means it's stretching for the light and it could be undermining the plant below the soil as well. So attention to light is, is pretty important. I think from what you're saying, Chris, I would agree. I think your major veg plot sowing probably should happen a little later mm. in the year just because you are getting more light. But as you say, there's no reason not to be enjoying salad, cut and come again, cress, grow miner's lettuce, claytonia, um, I grow coriander, all of these. They're just lovely to snip and put on your salad. The other piece of advice I would say is not to sow them too close together just because that will in also encourage them to sort of reach for the light and grow very very tall that's brilliant thank you pleasure Thanks. thank you bye bye i hope you found that discussion interesting i love these questions that keep coming and if you want specific help with any of your gardening queries you need to become a member of garden organic we have a dedicated advice team who's there to help all our members so just visit our website gardenorganic.org.uk and click on join Next month, Chris meets the ever-cheerful Danny Clark, a garden designer who touches on his Caribbean heritage. So make sure you press the subscribe button, and that way you'll never miss an episode. We were thrilled to be awarded the Gardening Podcast of the Year in 2020, but it wouldn't happen without you, dear listener, so a big thank you for tuning in, and to the Organic Gardening Catalogue for sponsoring us. Until next month, bye! Thank you, Kevin McLeod, for providing the music.